0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, in the book of Philippians. And we are in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians 3. There are 21 verses in this chapter, and we've really chopped it up into four segments. And so each of these segments will handle as a separate outline, as a separate Uh, uh, development and we are just now in the early parts of verses 7 through 11 uh, having wrapped up everything in verses 1 through 6 and the the details there with rejoice in the Lord uh, to write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you and so we had uh, uh, some aspects there on rejoicing really uh, we'll get more on rejoicing in chapter 4 than we get in chapter 3. That's fine. He goes back to it again and again and again, and he says he doesn't mind doing that. Uh, and so really the, the mention of rejoicing in verse, in verse 1 is kind of in passing, and then he goes into the beware. Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision. It's not really a paragraph on rejoicing like we'll get to in uh, in chapter 4. Now here in verses 7 through 11, uh, we're dealing with profit and loss. We're dealing with accounting terminology, things that my wife would really thrive in, given that I married a CPA and uh, and the world that she uh, dealt with before uh, she met me. (laughs) Anyway, she left all that behind and, and so forth. But she still knows the vocabulary and she still helps me out with uh, some of the things that we're dealing with here. Uh, Things that could be counted as loss or could be counted as gain, go ahead and uh, recategorize them. Move them over to the loss column and let them go. And that's uh, what Paul's talking about here with respect to all of this. All right? Before we start this morning, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer. It does us no good to be sitting here in uh, Carnality, to be sitting here out of fellowship. So we're going to take a few moments of silent prayer, and that gives every believer priest the the opportunity to quiet your heart, to humble yourself. If there's sin that has to be confessed, you can confess that before the Lord in the privacy of your own priesthood, and uh, clear away the obstacles, the obstacles to truth. Shall we pray? most gracious heavenly father we do come before you this morning so thankful thankful that this is a grace provision that uh, comes from you that we have not earned we have not deserved none of us deserves to be here father but we are your children by grace through faith in jesus christ and so we stand here uh, as uh, recipients of your grace and Father the blessings of uh, presenting ourselves before you as workmen needing not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth that too is a grace provision father that uh, that we should enter into your counsel who are we that uh, that you should teach us and speak to us and and reveal your plan reveal your will and yet you're doing exactly that here this morning so we we uh, quiet our hearts we humble ourselves to receive the word implanted And we ask, Father, that you teach us, that you speak to us, that you open the eyes of our understanding, that, uh, Father, we would be better equipped to go forth and serve you in every ministry capacity you suit us for. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this is our profit and loss statement as we break it down. Uh, again, real quickly, I'm not gonna go through this, but the four portions are verses 1 through 6, 7 through 12, 13 through 16, and 17 through 21. If you just wanna kinda make a note of that and, uh, and recognize that if we're in those verses, then we're dealing with, uh, with that segment of the chapter. So after summarizing his impressive credentials, Paul recategorizes them on his profit and loss statement, uh, and that's verses 7 through 12. And then we'll move on to the upward way and pressing forward in verses 13 through 16, and then we'll close the chapter talking about our heavenly citizenship and how it is that we should be mindful that there are enemies out there that uh, they don't operate as we do, and uh, we need to be on guard against them as well when it says in verse 17 join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping they're enemies of the cross of Christ and we need to be clear on who those enemies are so we don't get bound up with them we don't get caught up with them and we don't get carried away by the things that they would carry us away with related to uh to false teaching in uh, in that regard all right. So those are the four segments, right? Like I say, we are in the profit and loss segment of, uh, of verses 7 through 11. And so he says, whatever things were gain to me, but whatsoever things, everything. And uh, this is very typical Pauline style. He'll talk about everything. He'll talk about nothing. And he'll talk about both at the same time. Um Everything. Every single thing, everything that was a gain thing, he rewrites it now as a loss thing. Everything that was an actual gain for Paul, he has re-reckoned into the loss category. And the verb is a reckoning verb. It's a verb that we're accustomed to in doctrines such as imputation and doctrines uh, that we've studied in the past related to how do we consider certain things. And uh, really, much of it comes down to our choice in what we consider whether it's worth a lot or worth less or worth nothing, in uh, in how we uh, apply things or how do we reckon? How do we impute? Remember when we got saved, our sins were reckoned to Jesus Christ, and He took the the judgment of those sins on the cross, and then His righteousness was reckoned to us. We had that righteousness imputed, and so thankfully we can go to heaven not on the basis of our own righteousness, but that which was reckoned to our account in uh, in these things, so imputation and these doctrines are, are vital; they're fundamental doctrines in in uh, the Christian walk when you when you study them. Uh, the first part of this verse, though, is a past tense, and it is a completed action. Whatever things were gained to me those things I have counted as loss and so, in a perfect tense completion it 's a past completed action with present ongoing results. So whatever the time that was, he just came to a point, and I think we all come to that point. Uh, we come to a point like Jesus in the temple where he says, I must be about my father's business. We come to a point where we stop and we say, you know, enough is enough. Uh, I need to buckle down and walk with the Lord. I need to buckle down and grow. I need to pursue the ministry. I need to engage in my Melchizedek priesthood. And so, we, we reached that point. And in, whether it was on his Damascus Road experience, whether it was in the wilderness of Arabia, I think it was, it was very quickly after, uh, he was ushered into the church age and became an apostle, uh, very quickly he, uh, recategorized everything as from gain to loss in a past completed action. Those things I have counted as loss. And that past completed action stands in contrast to verse 8. When he says, more than that, I presently count. I am now presently counting all things to be lost. So verse 7 is is in the perfect tense. Verse 8 is in the present tense. And those things are significant. Those things exegetically, when you're teaching from the Greek, you recognize, okay, he's building upon a past reckoning and he has a continuing ongoing reckoning. And uh, we, we better identify the same way that uh you know we need that constant ongoing present tense reckoning and if we ever lose that if we ever uh drift in our in our hunger for the word of god if we ever drift in our uh attitude checks and perspective uh, checks then very quickly we're going to find ourselves drifting back into conformity to this world conformity to this age and uh we've had warnings on that uh as well so uh this is uh this is point 1 in the outline like I say we we start over each expositional outline with each segment of the chapter, so uh, this is point one now in the new in the new paragraph. Uh, this completed action was possibly as soon as his three days of blindness in acts nine nine or at the very least uh, latest during his Arabian sojourn. He spent three and a half years in the wilderness of Arabia and uh, training with Jesus Christ, receiving his gospel, receiving mystery doctrine, receiving the church age material, and uh, uh, on one of those events, uh, he clearly did this uh, this past-completed action, all right? He did the re-reckoning that's spoken of there in verse 7. Now, when we talk about profit, we're talking about kurdos. Uh, the noun is kurdos. Uh, the verb is kurdino, and it's really easy to understand. It's basic economics, uh, and it should be a no-brainer. It should be simple. A three-year-old can figure this stuff out. Uh, sadly, though, our culture has drifted so badly uh, into different directions whereby uh, profit is evil in some people's perspective, all right? Uh, profit is sin. And and the only thing to be virtuous is to be non-profit. The only thing virtuous is to be socialistic and to just share everything with everybody. And and profit is bad, okay? I'm here to tell you that's not a biblical perspective. And the more you study it from the scriptures, the more you see that that, uh, profit is the consequences of productivity, and all of which is imitative of God the Father. God himself is productive. God himself produces. And the benefit of doing the work and producing is that you can then be gracious towards somebody else. And the idea of grace, if somebody else paid the price and then you graciously provide, that's the pattern that glorifies God the Father. All right? So if I get a little political, uh, forgive me if I get more economic than thank me. Uh, I think all of this is is useful in terms of uh, uh, free market capitalism, in terms of uh, the benefits of what God has designed us for. And so you'll see it there. The noun is kurdos, kerdos, K E R D O S. Number twenty seven seventy one is the Strong's concordance number. Many folks use Strong's numbers uh, when they uh, if they're not reading from the original. And there's only three uses of it. Uh, in philippians 1 21 philippians 3 7 and titus 1 11. the verb though has 17 usages cardino to gain to profit even to win in uh, in an application a couple of uh, places to win and so uh, cardino is the verb with literal uses and metaphoric uses literal and figurative usages and we're fine with all of them um and so that's what we want to pick up on where we left off a week ago. We didn't have a class Wednesday because of our guest speaker Wednesday night. So it's been a week since we've been in this. We're going to move from profit to loss. And some of the verses overlap because a lot of the verses have both verbs in them, such as here, uh, and also in uh, in Matthew. So we should be fine with that. Remember, we've already dealt with this in chapter 1 when uh, in, the, in the passage where Paul is talking about in Philippians 121. You might recall, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. There you go. To live as Christ and to die is gain, and so uh, it is a promotion. It is an advancement when you depart physical life. That physical death is a gain. It is. uh, It's a win-win because we're absent from the body and at home with Jesus Christ, and and so it is a gain. It is a profit. But to live is Christ, and that's uh, that's the application there. Uh, Titus one eleven. Is there only the only like I said, it's only three times that Kurdos appears in the uh, in the New Testament, Titus one eleven, and uh, the false teachers that must be silenced must be silenced. These are the rebellious men, empty talkers from verse ten, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid kurdos, sordid gain. All right. And so realize that if you have that adjective in front of it, like sorted, then that becomes a problem. In fact, there's also compound terms for sorted gain that are used in Titus 1.7, 1 Timothy 3.8, and 1 Timothy 5.2. There's some compound terms that discuss the sorted gain as well. So... um applications there. If uh, if the pastor's in it for the money, if the pastor's not a true pastor, if he's not shepherding for the sheep, uh, for the sake of the sheep, then that tells you everything you need to know right there. That's the warning that Jesus was giving in John chapter 10, the difference between a shepherd and a hireling. And I would encourage you to uh, to study that as well. All right. Like I say, if the noun is only used three times, uh, the verb with seventeen times really spells that out for us, and uh, we recognize what it means to gain. What it means is to produce. What it means is to to have that increase based upon the work that you put into it. And even if it's a, an aspect of a purchase, it's still a gain because maybe you did the work and you you saved up some money, and then you took your savings, you took your money, and then you bought something. Okay, and depending on what you bought. that too is a gain, all right? I'm not talking about throwing your money away on something stupid, but even there, even there, when you're throwing your money away on something stupid, it's still a gain in the sense that you obtained something you wanted. Even if your wife thinks it was dumb, you wanted it, okay? And so you gained because now you have something you've always wanted. So that's a gain. Anyway, we'll talk about that too. Jesus talks about this warning here in Matthew sixteen twenty six. I mean, what if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul, right? And so, in Matthew sixteen twenty six, and that, and it's got uh, the parallel there in Mark eight and in Luke nine, um, and so we can touch on that. The um, Matthew sixteen and verse twenty six. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And see, this is, uh, thankfully, uh, we can keep this straight. It's not a salvation passage. This is a discipleship passage. This talks about someone who is saved, but then needs to become a true disciple, needs to to live in the word of God and follow the, the example of Jesus Christ. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's not a gospel passage about an unbeliever who who needs to believe in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. This is talking about a believer who needs to become a disciple and follow after Christ in, uh, in sacrificial ministry. Then verse 26, "'For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul?' and so it's it's uh, it's important to identify that when we're talking about gaining we're not talking about um uh robbing we're not talking about stealing we're not talking about other nefarious ways by which you can increase right you know a a burglar can increase his loot he can he can plunder and he can steal uh he can he can accumulate stuff and uh, it, but is that gain is that is that, as the Bible would define it, okay? We want to be clear. And because there are some artificial mechanisms by which we can gather dust or earthly treasure, and it's not gain when it comes to how God designed for us to operate. And I think it built into this very verse is the free will giving in the sense that it is an exchange. What will a man give in exchange? See. And so fundamentally, the acquisition of goods, uh, can be done through, you know, violence and war or stealing or plunder. Or, it can be done by a voluntary exchange. Whereby two parties, uh, one, you know, exchange what they want to voluntarily give. And then when they walk away, when the transaction's complete, who's richer? Both. Both are richer in their free exchange see and that's key and so some of this is just fundamental economics some of this it even goes back to genesis it goes back to the 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 boundaries of the land and as adam's being given his tour of of uh, of eden and and as being described in all of these expressions and the different lands eden was not havilah and havilah was not Cush and all of these other regions and and there were rivers that formed boundaries and each land had its own uh resources where the gold of that land was good, or the bedellium, or or what have you, and so you have water rights, you have mineral rights, you have land, uh, natural resources that are described in the land, and all of these things are foundational. So that you know, what is a people supposed to do? A people group in a land, what do they do with the resources of that land? See, they produce and they gain and they have an excess. They're able to trade and then they can gain more. And all of this is. Uh, all of this is biblical, which is why Satan hates it. <laughs> all right. And all of it comes under attack. In um, In Matthew uh, 25, we have a concentration of these in verse 16, 17, 20, and 22. And uh, if you were here last week, then it's now uh, crossing my mind that we read these verses. And uh, Anyway, so we don't have to take a whole hour on this again, but just to refresh our thinking, um, this is the the man about to go on a journey, and he called us slaves, and he entrusted his possessions to them. And so they're being hired to do business with his possessions. It doesn't say he gave his possessions to them. He entrusted, and they're supposed to do business. So to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability, and he went on his journey. And so they're being entrusted to do business with what he's given them. And immediately the one who had received the five talents went and he traded with them and he gained five more talents. And so there's our verb cardino. And the idea of trading and the idea of gaining, this is what we're dealing with. And so um, the one with five was able to gain five. The one with two was able to gain two. And the one with one should have gained one, but he didn't. Because he didn't trade. He didn't use it. He wasn't... Uh, employing the resources that God supplied. And I think that describes a whole lot of believers that God's given us supply and and we're not using it. And we're just sitting on our spiritual rear end not using it. See? this guy decided to bury it in the sand and uh, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And uh, when it was time to settle accounts, uh, the ones that had gained... Were blessed, and uh, the one who failed to gain, he didn't escape by just handing the guy the the money back, right? (laughs) Yeah, because that's not gain. The owner expected gain. He was actually robbed of one talent, because the guy didn't do the business with the one to return two. So uh, it's a loss to uh, to the Lord to the Master. Anyway, so there's, there's principles there. James 4.13. James 4.13. The Lord said, man, why don't you just put it in a bank? At least I could have gotten some interest off of it. All right, James 4.13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and Cardino... That's our verb. Make a profit. It's not a sin to make a profit. And then it's not being presented here as a sin. Jesus wasn't presenting it as a sin. James is not presenting it as a sin. All James is saying is have some wisdom in in, uh, what God allows. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So this is very practical. James is like Proverbs in the New Testament. It's very practical. It's wisdom literature. And what it's saying here is nothing wrong with long-term planning. Nothing wrong at all. But still have a daily intimacy with the Lord. Still live day by day. Still live as the Lord wills. All right? He's not saying don't do a long-term plan. Far from it. Okay? Okay? And, uh, you know, if you're the sort that, you know, Dave Ramsey is not wrong when he talks about estate planning and saving and all the the economic stuff that he does. Dave Ramsey's got good material, okay? And it doesn't violate James. We're still living day by day, even when we have the long-term planning. Because we're willing to subject our will to the will of God. And we're willing to say, not our will, but thine be done. And we're willing to to change the plan if God changes the plan for us. See, I left home. I've told you this many times. I left home. My plan was to uh, be a homicide investigator by age 30. I had a whole law enforcement career charted out in front of me. But I was too young. You can't be a a police officer if you're under 21 years old. And so, uh, but you could join the army and become an MP, which is what I did, at, uh, at 18 or 17 with parental permission, you can uh, join the army and, and you can become an MP and carry a gun and do all that law enforcement stuff. And uh, so that was my plan. And I was going to come back to Seattle, Washington and have four years of law enforcement experience. Uh, Chief Perkins promised me, Perkins of all things, promised me a job. Chief Perkins said, if you come out with an honorable discharge, keep your nose clean, uh, then I'll hire you, when you the, the day you come home. And so there it was, and all that plan was taken, and they had college assistants, and then the Army had college assistance, going to go to the University of Washington, get a criminal justice degree, I was going to do all this stuff, and uh, wanted to be the homicide investigator by age 30. I wanted to do the Columbo routine, the, 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 I was good at it too, just playing dumb and acting like I wasn't didn't know what I was talking about, and and uh, oh, that was my plan, had it all charted out. And then uh, the Lord woke me up, okay? I was carnal for a lot of that plan, all right? And uh, when, I, when I got back in fellowship and started growing in the Word of God and started to uh, walk in the light, it's amazing what happens when you walk in the light. And, uh, and then God opens doors and He shows you what His plans are. Far better than your plans, all right? Far better. So be willing to change when God makes those plans known. Here in uh, Philippians 3, eight, of course, we have our usage um, as far as, uh, as this goes. Everything that was lost, everything that was gained to me, I counted as loss. Uh, more than that, I count all things as loss to gain Christ. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And it's been a while. I'm trying to remember when the first Corinthians series. The first, that was when Doug first arrived. We were in First Corinthians. That was that was a long time ago. First Corinthians nine. I'm getting I don't know, nostalgic. I'm getting uh, you know, what series were we teaching when you arrived, kind of a thing? Because the Johnsons are departing today and they, they've been here since two thousand three. And uh, anyway. And uh, Randy was asking me about the Life of David series the other day. And boy, that goes back to a long, long time ago. 1 Corinthians 9. And uh, the profiting that happens here in verse 19, 20, 21, and 22. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may cardino more. I may win more or I may gain more. And he views it as a... The, the English translation of win, I think, is interesting. Um, but but it's, it is the same term. It's a, it's a gain. It's a profit. It's, uh, it's an increase. And so we, when we bring it into English, I think it's significant that maybe we want to use economic terms or not, depending, but when he talks about preaching the gospel... And that's what we're dealing with here. Verse 16, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for I'm under compulsion. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. But if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship. So what's my reward then? He says, what's my reward? What do I get out of it? You know, what's my salary? Well, not a salary, my salary, my increase, my profit, my reward. Uh, that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. And that becomes important too. <laughs> got to be have got to have a grace approach in our ministry and, uh, as we do here. And so that's the setting then. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may profit more, that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews or profit Jews or gain Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win, gain, profit those who are under the law. To those who are without laws, without laws, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win, gain, profit those who are without law. And so we, as we taught this all those years ago, you understand this is not a hypocrisy on Paul's part. He's not putting on different masks and acting like, you know, these different folks, but he is approaching them where they are and understanding in a grace way where they are. If they're Jewish background, he wants to approach them that way. If if they're Gentile background, he wants to approach them that way. We might do something similar here if someone comes in and they're Pentecostal background or they come in here and they're Catholic background or they come in here and they're coming from whatever they're coming from, okay, Mormon background, all right, <laughs> whatever they're coming from. And we, we want to profit everybody, okay? We want to gain. We want to be gracious and say, look, we're all about learning from the Bible. Let's just grow with the Lord and let's, let's walk with Him. To the weak I became weak that I might win, gain, profit the weak, I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some, save some. And so this is the the string of verses here. And it talks about winning people, winning people. And uh, it also does so in uh, the church discipline passage of, uh, that's where my typo is. There's a church discipline passage in, See, while I was up here preaching, it was the back of my mind was wheeling away saying, why is that listed twice? And it shouldn't be listed twice. Um, because there's a Matthew 18 reference as well about applying church discipline that you can win your brother. You can win your brother. You can gain your brother. You can profit your brother. And that's in, uh, that's in Matthew 18. And uh, you'll notice if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. And that's uh, Matthew eighteen fifteen. All right, so that's not on the slide, but you can write it on your paper and then you'll have it. Wives, 1 Peter 3, 1. You can win your husband without a word. You can gain your husband, you can profit your husband without a word. 1 Peter three one. In the same way, you wives, be submissive, be subject to your own husbands. And this is uh, so hated today. And even, uh, I think, even in the complementarian view, it's coming under attack. Even, sadly, the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood had a great start. They're drifting now into some dangerous realms where they're redefining submission. And uh, it bugs me. All right. In the same way, you wise, be submissive to your own husband so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be cardinoed. And they may be won, profited, gained. You want your husband back? Here's how you do it without a word, by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And uh, the, the greatest preaching you can do is, is living your life for the glory of Jesus Christ and uh, submitting as unto the Lord, even though he doesn't deserve it. And uh, Sarah's the example on this. Uh, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And that is denied by the complementarian people today. It's just heartbreaking to me. Um, taking the plain language of this text and flipping it upside down. But Sarah obeyed, calling Abraham Lord. And did she suffer for it? Was she blessed for it? And the answer is yes and yes. All right. She ended up in Pharaoh's harem for a time until God rescued her out of that. Okay, But God is gracious and God blessed her. So uh, winning your husband, profiting your husband, gaining your husband, uh, these are the terms of gaining. And uh, so I think we're clear on that. And Paul says, whatever thing was gained to me, and how do we gain, how do we advance? How do we gain in the Christian way of life? And there's a lot of theories out there. And uh, particularly uh, when Paul was listing his credentials under rabbinic Judaism, when Paul was talking about his circumcision and his Pharisee training and all of his upbringing and all of his education, and then he realized none of that was gained, all of that's lost, throw that all out. The surpassing value is knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Okay, And so we can recognize that as well. The term for loss is the term zamia. Zania. zania. Z e m i a, but it's the long e, it's the eta. Zamia, the verb is zamiao. Z e m i o o with the short o and the long o, the Omicron and the omega. So, zamia number twenty two forty nine is the Strong's number. I am sorry, twenty two zero nine is the Strong's number with only four uses, and the verb zamiao has six uses, and as you might expect. Many of those uses are in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where you gain the world, but you lose your soul. Okay, So that'll speed us up in this. We won't have to read those. Um, But the idea of a loss, normally in the context of a tragedy, yet here it is a glad surrender. And that's the point. Here it is a glad surrender. Normally, though, loss... Is in the context of a tragedy. Normally, loss in an economic sense, an economic loss. If you take a business loss, or you take a uh, a personal loss. Okay, we're not talking about misplacing something or losing, you know, your keys. We're talking about a uh, a a personal loss that likely is because of poor choices on your part. Right? You made a dumb choice. You 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 you. You know a uh, bad business decision or or you you were misprioritized on something and uh, and so you are now suffering a loss in uh, in some respects you were unequally yoked. you had a business partner, a shady business partner, and proverbs told you not to be yoked to that shady business partner, but now he's been brought down, and you are going through a loss uh, on that basis in uh, the noun is in uh, acts twenty seven Verses 10 and 21, and then our passage today, Philippians 3, verses 7 and 8. And that's it. That's it for the New Testament on Zania. Alright. Acts 27, verses 10 and 21. And uh, this is the chapter where they're sailing for Rome and they're having trouble, and uh, the winds are contrary, and then there's other issues, and um, Paul keeps trying to put his two cents in, and they don't really want to listen to him. And uh, then verse 9, when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast uh, was already over, Paul began to admonish them. And say to them, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great zamia, great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our own lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot, and by the captain of the ship, and by what was being said by Paul. Okay? You know, what's this Jewish lawyer know anyway? I mean, come on. Let's, let's listen to the, the sailors. They know what they're talking about. And uh, anyway. The, uh, then down to verse uh, 21, when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, men, you ought to have followed my advice, because okay? everybody loves the I told you so, that <laughs> never fails to impress people. You ought to have followed my advice and uh, not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss, Zamia. Yet now I urge you, keep up your courage and there will be no loss of life among you, but only of this ship. And we're trying to encourage him with the spiritual message and the word that he received from the angel. So here too, we understand loss and here we understand the nature of it and, and that the idea of a loss is built in to the idea of conducting business. It is a part of how it works, profits and losses. It talks about, uh, it's the mechanism by which improvement happens. It's the learning from the loss is the mechanism by which maybe you don't do better next time, but the next guy does better. Uh, that it helps to improve efficiency and it helps to uh, to uh, not repeat the same mistakes. And there's a benefit to loss. There's actually a benefit to bankruptcy. There's a benefit to going out of business. There is... Uh, uh, and And... The problem is, is that of course, bailouts, we don't let people lose. We don't let people learn those lessons and we don't allow for the market to experience what happens when there is a loss. See, anyway, that don't get me off on that. <laughs> All right. So we know what it means to suffer a loss. Um, and we've already gone through Matthew, Mark and Luke there. How about first Corinthians? First Corinthians 315, another loss passage. And this is something we know very well because this is our uh, Judgment Seat of Christ passage. We're all going to stand here someday, maybe today, should the trumpet sound. We, uh, each one of us will stand before the Judgment Seat of Christ. And so um, the standard is listed here, um, well, short of reading the whole chapter. Uh, verse eleven: No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if you're not saved, you don't have a foundation, and you're not going to even stand at this judgment. You're you're headed for the the great white throne instead of instead of this. But if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. This is what happens when we stand face to face before Jesus Christ. And so our production is evaluated. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So the the grade for everything we do in the will of God is going to happen here at the judgment seat of Christ. Is it gold, silver, precious stones? Is it wood, hay, straw? The fire will test that quality. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. That's the that's zemiah, that's the verb. He will suffer loss. And so there are six different items, but they're broken down into two categories, and it's an either or. And it's an either gain or a loss. It's either a reward or a loss. See, and the gold, silver, precious stones, uh, clearly they're not consumed, they are purified, if you will, that uh, whatever dross gets removed aside. But then the what remains is the uh, is the reward. And then with wood, hay, and stubble, uh, it all goes up. It's, it's totality. All of that is is consumed. And uh, in, in the idea is is uh, he may not have anything else except himself, as he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire, you know, you go through a house fire and you escape with the clothes off your back and, and nothing else, and that's what you got. You know, whatever you could grab at the last minute, you know, you grab your pet, you grab your wife, you grab your favorite child or whatever, you just you, you rush out of the house. And, you know, you suffer the loss of all things, okay? And think about those that are coming to the judgment seat of Christ, and this is very real, I think there is a, a segment of the population of, of, that are born again, but they never grow. They, ne- they don't become true disciples. And that's unfortunate. All right. Or a deathbed conversion, for that matter. You know, you're saved and uh, the thief on the cross or, the, or any hospital deathbed conversion or, or whatever. I mean, when, when you come to faith in Christ and within an hour, a couple hours, you're, you're, you're in glory, Uh, not a lot of gold, silver, precious stones, right? I mean, what have you done in the... uh, Nothing. Yet you yourself are saved, and so is through fire. And there's uh, a provision there with respect to that. So anyway, if you want more on that, we've got a whole booklet on the judgment seat of Christ and one of our ABC readers. And uh, it's important that we identify this because I think it's motivational for us to look forward to, uh, to what we have and it's not a, a selfish thing it's because whatever we do have left over we get to throw it at our Savior's feet and I don't know about you but I want more, I want more to throw at His feet I, He deserves more and uh, that's, that's my good pleasure to throw those crowns at His feet and, and thank Him for the grace that uh, allowed this to happen. 2 Corinthians 7 9 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 9 <clears throat> and you might recall, um, the Corinthians had a problem with a man of incest that they did not remove in First Corinthians, and they should have. And then, when he repented, they did not bring him back. And so they made them—you know—they made opposite mistakes twice over. They didn't uh, remove the wicked man, and then when he was repentant, they didn't allow him to come back. And so uh, we have two Corinthians. Uh, first and second, to address these these problems. And then, uh, so he's kind of dealing with some of these issues here in this chapter and talking about causing sorrow. And he caused sorrow with his letter and he caused sorrow with his visit. And then uh, he had another letter that caused even more sorrow, which is in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians 7, 8, he says, Though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. And that's key, that it sparked their repentance. And that's something to celebrate. Wow, not that they were made sorrowful, but that through that then they got with the program, right? for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. Oh, wow. Show that verse to some people. Now, there's a whole segment of Christendom today that doesn't think you should ever be sad. You should ever have sorrow. God wants you to be happy. And if you're, sorrow, if you're sorrowful, there's something wrong with you. Okay, wait a minute. There is sorrow in the will of God. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Sorrow is often God's instrument to keep you from suffering the eternal loss. So some hardship here and now, great. Sparks repentance, you're back in the Word of God, you're growing, you're thriving, and you're not going to have that wood hay stubble laid up at the, at the judgment seat of Christ. So that you might not, zami suffer loss in anything through us. For sorrow, according to the will of God, produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And the neat thing about grace, the neat thing about God's sorrow and God's discipline, and when you recover and you're coming out of darkness and maybe you're coming out of a season of, of uh, you know, starvation, not feeding, whatever the case is, when you do have that repentance, it's a repentance without regret, guilt-free. You don't have to spend the next 20 years beating yourself up over what the last five years were like, Okay guilt-free, without regret. It's the grace of God that rescued you, that uh, first of all saved you in the first place and then saved you out of this darkness. Okay? How many times does He have to save you? <laughs> as many as it takes. Okay? And you, you know what I'm talking about. The eternal salvation, and then the phase two salvation from the power of sin and the, the uh, ultimate salvation when you're face to face with Jesus Christ. So that's two Corinthians seven nine. Yet here in our context, it is a glad surrender. It is a happy surrender. It's not a tragedy. It's not a. It's not a wondering what might have been. It's a. It's a happy loss. Count it but loss, you know. And maybe uh, maybe you've had that. Maybe maybe you've suffered some loss in a business dealing where you said, you know what i 'm unequally yoked i can 't be unequally yoked anymore, and so you have to cut ties and you have to just cut them loose and you say i 'm going to take a hit for this, but I gladly take the hit for this because I want to be obedient with the scriptures and uh, not be unequally yoked any longer um, i 've already this is long enough in uh, in this in this business dealing so um, he 's gladly counting loss and that 's verse eight more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have zamiah owed everything. I have suffered the loss of all things. And uh, this is when we've gone from the past to the present and he continues to throw things away. He continues to count loss. He continues to reckon in uh, in the loss category. Counting them but rubbish, but scubalon, but refuse, but Um, excrement, so that I may gain Christ. Purpose clause, that I may. Haven't you already gained it yet? Haven't you already gained Christ? Paul, what are you talking about? Not that I've already obtained it. Okay? This is a reaching forward. This is not Paul getting saved and receiving eternal life. This is gaining Christ in in a real prophet. Gaining Christ. Not receiving Christ not learning Christ gaining Christ and uh, that's a distinction and we're going to spend some time discussing that so we have profit we have loss for Christ's sake for Christ's sake no I'm not swearing <laughs> i had the, whatever things were gained to me those things i have counted as loss for the sake of Christ for Christ's sake okay nowadays this expression has become a vulgar uh, expression of uh, really a, a profane expression of, uh, of anger. You know, something happens, you say, oh, for Christ's sake, in a real angry kind of way. Okay, Just stop right there. Wait a minute. You smashed your thumb with a hammer. That was not for the sake of Jesus Christ. Because if it truly was for the sake of Jesus Christ, you should have smashed all your fingers. That's right, he's worth more than that. Is it for his sake? What does it mean, for his sake? Okay? And really, uh, the the, the Christian standard Bible, or the Holman, because of Christ, becomes causative. Uh, In the King James and New King James, it's simply for Christ. Christ. The problem with four is four is very ubiquitous as well, and four can be uh, uh, can lead to some ambiguity. Uh, but the expression to become fools for Christ's sake is precisely parallel you know, not only in vocabulary but also grammar and syntax. It is it is a pure parallel to our idiom here, and so um, to suffer loss for Christ's sake. And to become a fool for Christ's sake, these are, the, uh, these are, these are direct parallels. And, and, of course, Paul is also the author of, of 1 Corinthians 4. And uh, the structure is, is, like I say, it's identical. 1 Corinthians 4.10. We are fools for Christ's sake, on His behalf, for His benefit, to His glory and good pleasure. That's what it means for somebody's sake. But uh, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. And this is actually sarcasm in this passage, where he's contrasting his ministry as an apostle with all the <laughs> delusional ministry that the uh, the uh, Corinthians were pursuing. They they thought everything was great. They were already in the kingdom practically for how great things are. They're kings and they're ruling, and things are marvelous. And uh, and Paul says, "Really, I'm a, I'm a fool." for Christ's sake. And he draws a a bit of a contrast there. Directionality is essential in many sake studies. You ever studied sake? Okay. And it's not a one, it's not an easy term because there's a lot of Greek words, a lot of Hebrew words, a lot of idioms uh, that denote the idea that it's sacrificial on behalf of somebody else. Okay? For somebody's sake. If I want to, you know, I mean, we can, we we get this, I think, if we stop and think it through. I don't know. It, it's still in common usage. It's not, uh, well, maybe it's not as common as it used to be. You know, so, uh, you know, you're going to go You <laughs> have a nice dinner out. Or you're going to have a date. You're going to have a, an evening. Uh, maybe you're going to go to a, a show. And, uh, well, you know, for your wife's sake, there might be uh, a chick flick of some sort, okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to have, uh, you know, a storyline with romance and some kind of a, you know, plot. And for her sake, for her sake, you go, right? Because it's, that's for her sake. You don't. It's not for your sake. you're going to get nothing out of it whatsoever, okay? You will not benefit in the in the movie theater. Okay Now, the, uh, on the other hand, she might, for your sake, go see another superhero movie. you know The Marvel Cinematic Universe continues. And uh, if you haven't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp yet, then that's the newest. Now, for, her, for my sake, okay, is she going to get anything out of it? Because okay, hasn't she already seen this movie? I mean, aren't these the same? Didn't we see this already? Wasn't this? Uh, so if you don't have the perspective to know the difference, then you think they're all the same. Okay? It's like every chick flick is the same, as far as I know. Um, but they're not, evidently. Apparently, there's different actors and different stories and different things are happening. I... So when you do something for somebody else's sake, it becomes, I mean, ultimately, it's agape love, right? It's, it's, uh, it's Jesus didn't go to the cross for himself. Why did he go to the cross? Because we're the sinners. He went for our sake. And so the, direction, the direct, directionality is essential. Somebody is doing something and it's going one direction. It's for the sake of somebody else. And these I think are useful and I've got just a short time left. We're almost done here. But um, in, in Mark, Mark 2.27 these directionality principles. I mean if you miss this, if you don't get this, damage gets done. Mark 2.27, because he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Get it right. There is a sake, okay? And it's one direction. Directionality is critical, and it's not backwards. If you flip it backwards, you got a problem. You got a big problem, actually. And these legalists that were using the Sabbath to beat up people, these legalists that were using Sabbath observance and their control. Okay? And this is what's happening here. And there's Pharisees and the Pharisees are all mad. Look, they're doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And and uh, anyway, he said to them, have you never read? What <laughs> You know how insulting that is? These guys read, 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 read hours and hours a day, every day of the week. Have you not read, have you never read what David did when he was in need and and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and they ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. He also gave unto those who were with him. Wow, you ever read that? They, They broke the Sabbath, didn't they? And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And if you get that wrong... We can say the same thing too. What's the church? What what is the church designed for? For us, or are we designed for the church? How does this work? How about uh, men and women? There's other things there too. Um, Mark thirteen twenty. Mark thirteen twenty. The coming tribulation is going to be fierce. In fact, Satan. Uh, could conceivably exterminate the human race in the uh, great tribulation, but God cuts it short. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Remember, primarily Satan's trying to exterminate the Jewish people so that he can point to God and say, you're a liar. You made promises to the Jews and they're all dead. (laughs) All right. That's his only plan. Uh, to to point to God as a liar and then he can claim that he wins that he's like the most high God. Anyway for the sake of the elect, the chosen people, Israel is the elect nation and God will rescue them at Armageddon for the sake of the elect. Directional studies are for whose sake? The elect. Okay, we've got to be clear if we, we, uh, the directionality is essential. John 12.30 So uh, a voice came out of heaven. I've both glorified it. Jesus says, uh, my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. When you decide that you're going to do what you don't want to do, but you're going to do it because God wants you to do it, this is the moment, okay? Glorify your name. And a voice came out of heaven. I've both glorified it and will glorify it again. So a crowd of people were stood by heard herd saying that it had thundered and others were saying an angel had spoken to him. But Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Be clear on the directionality. Be clear on who it's not for and who it's for and why. And if you, if you miss it, I think you end up doing great damage to uh, some different things. Um, okay, it's, it's way too fast. We'll, we'll pick up this up on Wednesday. Let me just um, give you something to chew on because Romans four deals with justification and and the plan of God. First uh, Corinthians eleven, and then Ezekiel. There's others besides Ezekiel that. Let me just ask you something, and this is something I like to bring up in uh, premarital counseling and postmarital counseling and marital counseling, (laughs) men and women conversations. We need each other. That's clear. And um, the uh, man was not created for the woman's sake. Ever wonder why that is? Man was not created for the woman's sake. There's an order. There's a directionality. But woman for the man's sake. It was not good for the man to be alone. He needed her. Did she need him? Not according to Scripture. Okay? He was not created for her sake. She was created for his sake. And then um, verse 12, as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Okay? Every man on the planet was birthed from a woman. But every woman on the planet, Eve, came from the man. Okay, and there's a purpose in that, there's a directionality to that and that gets lost. Feminism loses it intentionally. And sadly, evangelical feminism has also lost it. And they don't know it. They think they have it. So we'll, we'll deal with that. Father, thank You for Your faithfulness. Uh, Thank You for the directionality studies, and I pray that we pay more attention to them. In particular, if we're going to suffer the loss for the sake of Christ, let's suffer the loss for the sake of Christ and understand the directionality of that. And let's not uh, suffer loss for our own selfish reasons and then try to mask over it and claim like we're suffering it for the sake of Christ. Father, uh, we want to be real with You as You're real with us in all that we do, in the gains and the losses in the testings and the victories in all things, Father, may your Son be glorified. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.